0: A Lifetime original podcast. Okay, wait. Can I actually tell y'all how I really spent my New Year's? I spent my New Year's drunk calling (laughs) Debbie. And me drunk calling her back. (laughs) Yeah, that's how New
1: Year's was spent. In the house, getting drunk, watching the CNN feed, which was a hot mess in the best way.
0: (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs)
1: Hey y'all, happy new year and welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we sit down with some of our celebrity black babes to talk about all things black. That's black wealth, black business, and of course, black elevation with me today. Is my favorite and extraordinarily awesome co-host Miss Amira Lawali. If Amira were to open a brand new business, oh, this is easy. She would run a beauty shop that focuses on wigs and only wigs.
0: What? <laughs> the girl that doesn't know how to lay her wig. Okay, but you. Okay, 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 okay. Here's
1: the explanation. So you might think you don't know how to lay the wig, but you know how to select the wig. You know what a good wig looks like. You know the right type of hair. You know the style. You know the sights.
0: Okay? Let me tell you, I saw TikTok that I've never related to more. It was a girl saying, like, I'm going to wear this wig like a hat and you're going to get over it. Oh. And I said, wow, I
1: get it. You know what? No, but you're not giving yourself enough credit. Your wigs don't look like hats, sis.
0: Sometimes they do. And I think I'm okay with it. Jesus. <laughs> and y'all already know, she needs no introduction. This is my amazing, amazing co-host, Kirby Dixon. And if Kirby were a brand new business, she would be a... Okay, this is hard because I don't know the name of the business, but you'd be a 360 fixer company. Olivia Pope. Yeah. And think you'd be <laughs> Olivia Pope, but like not crime You know, Mm. just success. Like, I think she could brand you 360. I think she can brand herself 360. I think she knows what moves to make, what moves not to make. Like, she can see the future of her career if she wants to do others' careers, but she can also do her own career. Ooh,
1: so you're giving me, like, life coach vibes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Fix my life. I'll fix yours, and I won't (laughs) fix mine, so.
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs)
1: Um, but since this is the first episode in this beautiful new year, how are you feeling? Uh How are you doing?
0: How was your break? My break was very, very well rested.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I didn't do half of what, here's the thing. I went in and I was like, oh my God, we can have half. I'm going to get so much done. I'm going to do this and this. Girl, I did nothing but binge TV. You sat your behind down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't even finish half of what I wanted to binge. So I think it's what I needed versus what I wanted. And I think that's good. Mm -hmm. What did you do during your break and how did you spend it?
1: Oh, my God. I did the exact same thing as you. I mean, Uh everyone is out here catching Omarion. So my ass was in the house. In the house. In the house. Because I am not of the mantra that everyone's going to get it eventually. I really do not want that. And, I mean, I slept a lot. I got through a few things that I wanted to do, like try and, like, you know, clean the room and mm-hmm. spend some time with family. Um, I binge-watched shows. I ate my heart out because New Year, new me, sis. We back on the health yeah. and wellness vibe. <laughs> and I ate twice my way in food and desserts. It's something about being home that makes you just want
0: to eat. <laughs> As you should. Eat, sleep, drink, repeat. That's it. That's all I did. Yep. If you would share, what is like your one resolution for 2022? Well, one of them.
1: Um. You know what I love about myself already this year is I have mm-hmm. no, I have no pressures. I sat down with myself yesterday. I journaled. I finally mm-hmm. reflected on what an insanely weird but amazing year we had last year. Yeah. Um. And I wrote down some small goals that I want for myself. Like kind of, I took the pressure off this year, so I don't really have one resolution to share. I kind of just wrote down some vibes that I want to feel. I think I want to feel lighter and I, I just want to stop putting so much pressure on myself um, to hit a certain thing by a certain age or by, you know, the end of the year. But I do know that I want to give a little bit more grace and patience to myself and to other people this year. So We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Keep me me honest throughout the year. (laughs) I heard you. I will let you know. (laughs) How about you? That was a long-winded way to say I don't really have any
0: yet, but. (laughs) I get that. Yeah. And I know there's too much pressure to do that at the first week of the year. I do it all January because I love a January. Yes.
1: Oh, why, why, Amira?
0: Why is that? I love it because it's my birthday season, y'all. <laughs> it's a mean, it's a I mean we're stuck inside with the Amarion, but um and a lot of things are canceling, but I still love January. Yeah. Um, but I think the only thing I really want to focus on this year is I want to become more disciplined. Mm-hmm. I allowed myself to be more lax last year for a reason. Like I wanted to properly heal from everything that happened in 2020. Yeah. But I really want to try to be more disciplined, and then I also want to like make myself enjoy. Every win because Mm -hmm. it'll make me see the lows in a different point. Like, I don't think I'm good at that. But my partner is really good at celebrating every single win. And I just kind of like. Oh, y'all, he
1: is the best person (laughs) to remind (laughs) you of how amazing you are. (laughs) I saw it in true form, like in real form. I love that for you, sis. He's really good at it. He's so good
0: at it. He like will not let me forget anything. And like, I very quick to move on. I hope he has
1: you as Forbes 30 under 30 in his
0: phone. (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. So I just, I really wanted to let at least let him celebrate. So then I will celebrate a little bit. That's my goal.
1: Yeah. I love that. I saw something on Twitter that I had retweeted and I am going to put this in this thread for us. But I saw someone Mm -hmm. that um, said that last year, what they did is they got like an empty jar and anytime they had Mm -hmm. an accomplishment, whether it be a work accomplishment, whether they, you know, cook their own meals for like a whole week at, at a time. They went to the gym consistently, all these types of things. They wrote it on a piece of paper and they put it in the empty jar. And at the end of the year, they looked back they opened the jar and looked back on all the incredible things that they had done, whether they had forgotten about it or not. And I think I'm definitely going oh, to do that this want. year because you forget, like the year becomes a blur so fast. And even when I was writing down stuff in my journal yesterday, I'm like, I forgot that we did this. That I forgot that this podcast hasn't even been on for a year yet. I know. Like, it's stuff like that, that once you sit down and you actually reflect on it, it's like, well, damn. Well, all right. Okay. It's like, Beyonce. <laughs> okay, <ladies. laughs> like Well, all right. Well, all right, ladies. <laughs> ladies. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good, that's a good resolution Speaking of New Year, New Me mm-hmm. and New Year's resolutions, mm-hmm. we got to get these finances in order. And we sat down
0: uh. <laughs> 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 with someone who read us it, to filth, but it was like in a good way. let talk like about
1: it was money, 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 money. Miss Taney, what you owe me? Money management with my Fab Finance Queen herself, Miss Tanya Rapley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tanya Rapley is a nationally recognized millennial money expert and founder of the award-winning site My Fab Finance. She was deemed the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprise Magazine and was selected as a modern history maker by TV One. Her mission is to help millennial women, specifically millennial Black women, break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck and look fabulous while doing it. And she did look really fabulous,
0: actually. I'm yeah, going back. She she's great. like, she looked fantastic. She read us a filth, but in a good way. She got us together. She read us some
1: financial filth. Wow.
0: Financial filth. <laughs> we asked Tanya questions for the culture. Like, what really is generational wealth? And how do you get ahead when you are just trying to catch up? We talked about her hashtag Banish the Balance Challenge, where she helped over 4,000 participants pay off more than $200,000 of debt in 60 days. Oof! I know, right? <laughs> Can you help me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cancel them student loans, Tanya! Cancel, Cancel student loans, them. Tanya! <laughs> Plus, Tanya shares her journey to financial wellness and how she teaches others that you don't have to sacrifice the good things in life while you prepare for the future. Miss Tanya Rapley, let's get into it. Hello. (sighs) (laughs) I, well, first off, before we even get started, can I just say this is like (laughs) my fiance is most excited about this talk because he's wanted me to speak to someone about financial literacy and money for so long. Like he's tried, but I've been like, shut up. (laughs) So (laughs) this is like all the interviews we had this whole season. This is what he's most excited about.
3: Oh man. Yes. So well, thank you, fiance. Welcome.
0: No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. So we like to start off every podcast with the same question. And that is, what does joy look like
3: for you? Oh, Um. well, actually joy is one of my core values. Um. Mm. And joy looks like that feeling you get when you be like this is it this is what I'm here for Mm -hmm. this is I don't I don't want to be like morbid or anything but I'm always like if if life was like to end today Mm -hmm. like this moment would be a highlight and I'm very like happy within this moment um that's what joy looks like for me just realizing like all the euphoric feelings of alignment Mm. oh
1: I love that I love that thank you so much (laughs) joy (laughs) um And like Amira said, like I think out of all of the conversations that we have had and all of the guests that we've been blessed to sit down with, this is quite possibly one of the most important podcast conversations we've had to date. Because talking about money, talking about finance, Mm -hmm. talking about generational wealth is not something that we know a lot about, particularly Mm -hmm. in the Black community. And I think particularly as women too, so... I'm super stoked to have you here, Um, and before we even get into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to have a financial plan, what sparked your interest and your passion in wanting to pursue a career in finance to begin with?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I'm happy about the enthusiasm around this topic because I always say money isn't everything, but money gives you options, Mm -hmm. and particularly as women of color or people of color, like- we've been resigned to non-optional living for too long. And I think that we deserve to live life on our terms. We deserve to say yes to what we want to say yes to, to say Mm -hmm. no to what we want to say no to, and to do that without worrying about the consequences. And so when I look at money, money is a tool that enables people to do that. Um, And so many other things, whether it's giving and creating change in the world comfortably, um, whether it is providing a certain upbringing for their children and um, generations to come and a freedom for them and the opportunities for them to stand in joy without, um, without worrying about the consequences that may come. Um, there's always going to be consequences, but you know, consequences are different when your economic bracket is different. Um, and so that is, you know, one of the reasons I'm passionate about financial education. I know that I was at a stage in my life when I felt like I had done everything right. Like I went to college, I like, I did good in college. I did the internships. I got the jobs. I was working. Mm-hmm. I was getting life experience and everything. I um, Up until um, getting into an abusive relationship, I had paid my bills on time. I had good credit. I had savings and everything else. But that was just kind of like me doing what my parents told me to do without understanding the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to New York City and like the bottom fell out of it. And I was mm-hmm. like, if... I didn't do all that to, to live like this. Like, right. this, this can't be it. This is not it. Like, I did not envision this.
0: What was it about New York City?
3: Oh, so I was working at a nonprofit job making $13,000 a year.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. That'll do it. And expected to live in one of the most expensive cities in the entire
3: <laughs> world. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, no, this is not it. And I just realized that unless I started to take control of my finances and take control of um, how I was managing my money, I wasn't going to live the life that I believed that I was destined to live.
1: Talking about living out our destinies, Tanya, you went from making $13,000 a year in the most expensive city in the world to a successful career as a financial educator. So can you talk about your experience and the credentials you earned on your journey?
3: So actually I am a self-taught financial educator, but my background is I have a master's in public affairs. I have a bachelor's degree in public administration. I got my certification to become a certified financial educator in 2014. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been a full-time financial educator since 2015. So going on seven years. And since then I've helped thousands of people with their finances. I was my own first student. And so Mm -hmm. I started doing research and didn't find a lot of black women talking about finance, Now, once I got into it and became an educator myself, I started to meet, like, Lynette Califani-Cox, Tiffany Mm Bajanista, just different women, Michelle Singletary, and started to meet these other Black women who who had been talking about money and Patrice Washington. Mm -hmm. But up until then, I didn't see anyone who looked like me talking about it. It was like, it was Susie Orman. And I was like, she
0: don't know my life. Yes. I know. Susie (laughs) and Dave. (laughs) Okay, definitely not Dave. My mom used to watch Susie Orman every single Saturday night. And I just felt like I was like this is so unrelatable. Like Good I can't. TV we, don't this, mom. <laughs> we don't. We don't walk through the same lives. Like I can't.
3: Right, and not to discount her story, you know, because you know it's, we know what we know, but not to discount her yeah. story. But it's just different.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
3: just different for us. It's different mm-hmm. for us. And I wanted to talk about money from the perspective of us, um, from the perspective of a woman, and perspective of a black woman, because mm-hmm. things yeah. are different for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's different, and I feel like this topic is sometimes daunting and, like, taboo in our communities. Like, talking about budgeting and financial literacy, for some reason, like, it's so uncomfortable in general, but specifically for, like, Black women. Why do you think that?
3: Um, I think... I think for a few reasons, I think there's a unfamiliarity about the topic and people don't like to talk about things. They're not necessarily comfortable and confident talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those things like, well, money's going to figure it itself out. Everybody in my family, like they figured it out and they didn't have a financial background or access to a financial planner or a solid financial plan. They figured it out. Mm-hmm. And even you know, when I became a mother, my parents would be like, Well, we did it, and you didn't die. And I was like, Evidence of life does not mean that it was a <laughs> solid approach. Yes. Um, and I think in previous generations, people like to keep their finances really private. So you yes. didn't know what people had going on sometimes until they passed away. And you were like, Oh my God, this is a mess. How was she holding this household yes. up?
1: And you've inherited <laughs> that mess. Yeah.
3: Yes. And so I think that one of the things I love about Our generation and my peers who are educating in the space, and those who are younger than me coming up in financial education, is we're taking that stigma out of it. We're being transparent about our finances. We're being transparent with each other. We're having conversations with our friends about our student loan debt and our concerns and everything else. And I think that we are shifting the narrative, but for so long it was taboo when it was one of those things you didn't talk about, even to the point where I had a family member one time and they didn't want me to tell another family member about their taxes. And I'm like, it's your family member. Like, okay, who are we fronting for? And it's like, if you can't be honest with your family, can you be honest with yourself?
1: Yeah. If
3: you can't be honest with the people who are supposed to love you the most, can you be honest? And that's, a lot of people don't want to be honest about where they are when it comes to their money, because that opens up another can of worms that they might not be ready to tackle.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be honest. The problem for me personally is that to me, financial literacy and financial education opens up the door for an entirely new set of language and lingo that I've never Mm -hmm. heard, I don't understand. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, in the way that I learned my ABCs, I feel like I should also be learning about what is a Roth IRA? What is an IRA? What is a 401k? All of these terminologies that you're just expected to pour into once you become an adult. And I know I had like early on spoken to a financial planner because- mantra from my grandmother would always be like money, honey, if you ain't got money, you ain't got that swing. Or (laughs) literally as long (laughs) as you have money, you, you have some sort of like ability to like barter or live the life that you want to live. But what's so daunting for me is like, I would go to a financial planner and be like, I need you to speak to me as if I am three years old. Mm. Like you're saying these terminologies and I hear what you're saying but none of it makes sense to me. Mm. I've never had the rule book (laughs) or uh, someone to really explain to me, okay, this is what this terminology means and this is why it's important. So I'm wondering who was that mentor for you or was it you kind of learned it on your own?
3: I feel like I've had a variety of mentors across the way. There's been mentors to show me what's possible. Um, And that is, you know, even my parents, even in their level of comfort in their life. My parents, they're both career military, but my parents have never had to ask me for anything when it Mm -hmm. came to money. And it frees me up to live my own life. Um, For me, that set an example of having, yeah. yeah, And it's an example of having like my own autonomy when it came to finances and the importance of not depending on others when it came to money. Um, But then I would say, when I got started in finance, there were a few people like Patrice Washington, absolutely adore her. Um, Patrice was um, kind of a money mentor to me. And I was actually telling her this week because Patrice was one of the first people that I saw that was unapologetically well off. Mm. So in the financial literacy space, you know, there's a community of people who I find joy in saying, I wear the same clothes that I wore in college and I haven't dined out in over two years. And it's like, Okay, you could be frugal, Freddie, if you want, but that's not <laughs> what I want for my life. Yeah, and meeting Patrice, Patrice is like, no, I have this luxury handbag. I like nice things. My hair is done. Yes, I paid to get my makeup done, and my money is still in order. Um, I'm so going to show up and be fabulous, and still let you know that I have my finances in order. And that for me was kind of like a permission almost mm-hmm. to be like, yes, I like things. Okay, guys, I like things. Yes. And that doesn't <laughs> mean that I'm broken. That just means that I just have a different route to figuring out how to make my money work for me. And so she was definitely a mentor early on in that space. I love that. So I do have a follow-up question for you actually based on what you Go said. For so you hold that question? <laughs> um and it's for both of you. So what is a financial term that you feel like you're comfortable with? What's something that you like, you're like, okay, I know this about money or I'm confident about this related to money.
0: Crickets. Oh my gosh. I'm about to embarrass myself. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay, here's the thing. I, I feel like there are buzzwords Uh where I've gotten to like, I know what my 401k is. I know what a Roth IRA is. This is funny because me and Kirby were talking about how I hate Roth IRAs because it's like a savings account that I can't touch and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of terms I'm sure like I could get into. I was talking to my fiance about it yesterday because like, I think both of us we had financial insecurity when we were younger, mm. and so when we got secure, we did it. We like we came out trauma opposite. I'm I want it, I got it because mm-hmm. I can get it now. He saves every single penny and invests in everything. So for me, I completely reject financial things because I'm like for one time in my life. I can afford what I want and I'm going to get it. And I'll put around like a safety kit. Uh Like I'll have a savings account, but the rest of it, I don't want to talk about it. So I will be honest, that's where I am in my financial journey. I know the buzzwords, but that's about it.
1: Got it. Okay. And I think for me, probably the one that I'm most comfortable with and have like the best understanding for is 401k. And that's only recent because I'm older now, but I've always been told you need to invest in your 401k. You know, you need to take money out of your paycheck when same, I'm making $15,000 to $30,000 living in New York City trying to navigate that. I'm like, I don't have any money to save to be able to pour into this, but I know that I need to. So I think most comfortable as of right now is that what's most daunting for me now is this idea of investing in the stock market. And, you know, it's not good to have a chunk of money in your savings account when you should be investing it in things that will give you a bigger return in the long run, yeah. all that stuff for me, while I know I should be doing it, is just like literally, I see the the question marks coming out
0: of my brain. It's hard to put the future now when the now is expensive. Uh-huh. That's what's hard for me to wrap my head around. And then four hundred and one k, I'll be honest, the only reason why I invested in it because I felt like it was a good safety net. Mm-hmm. Like I knew if I was really out of luck in New York, I have that. And I was like, oh, that's a way to train myself. The four hundred and one k need something i can pull out of it (laughs) if anything okay i feel like it's hidden money we're
3: gonna we're gonna level set here because when i (laughs) ask you about the financial terms i think that one of the things that gets people or makes people feel less financially literate is they focus on like the bigger picture items or they focus on where they aren't at at
2: -hmm. the moment
3: when there's levels to financial freedom it is and we always say it's it's first it's stabilization And then it's, you know, it's growth and then it's exponential growth. Mm. And so stabilization looks like just making sure like savings, even though savings is a financial term, like it is a having adequate savings or like your credit or your budget. Those are also financial terms that a lot of people try to skip, but it's in mastering those entry principles, you become more confident in the bigger elements of financial literacy. So it's like, if I'm working with someone, I'm not going to say, let's talk about your 401k. It's not the first thing I'm going to talk to them about. I'm going to say, let's talk about your emergency savings. Let's talk about your credit score. Let's talk about your budget. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about what your current financial goals are. Those are all important as well. And those help create the financial foundation. And once we become comfortable in that financial foundation, then we begin to ask, do you have enough income to support your goals? Because income is also a financial term and income is also important when it comes to your finances. And as a financial educator, I'm also not the person who is going to tell someone you have to budget your way too well. I understand my brand is called my fat finance because we don't do deprivation as a financial freedom strategy. We believe Mm -hmm. in abundance while on your financial goals. And so that might mean mean we have to look at other ways to increase your income earning ability, whether that is starting another business, picking up side Mm -hmm. hustles, asking for those raises at your job so that now you don't feel like you're sacrificing to reach those financial goals. And now it's in addition to, and then from there, once we're starting to hit those financial milestones, we can start weaving in those other things. Now I'm not saying put off of investing in your 401k until mm-hmm. you've mastered the other things, but maybe you can baby step into just putting money into the 401k. Say, okay, you know what? I don't completely understand this, but I'm going to allocate 2% of my salary to this. Or I don't completely mm-hmm. understand it, but I'm going to commit to putting aside $50 every week into an IRA or an invest some type of investment vehicle so that my money can be growing. And it can hold in that growing account until I have the time to move from stabilization to exponential growth. And now that I've stabilized, I'll move into money is good over here. Now I have the room and the mental capacity to start playing around with these concepts to help me grow, to start purchasing investment properties, to start Mm -hmm. investing in a 401k, to start leveraging my credit to create more assets. But it's, it's steps. You do it in steps. People always tell me, well, I didn't learn about financial literacy in school ever. And I'm like, okay, cool. But did you learn about like how to draw your eyebrows on the school? (laughs) Did you, did you learn about how to like, (laughs) and we begin to think about all these things that we didn't learn, but we learn along the way because we saw it to be beneficial to us. So I look at finance as that, like, it's not as sexy. Um, but it is something that is, we're capable of learning because there's so many evidences of the things that we're capable of learning along the way.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. That's very true. It's basically, you just have to put the time into understanding things that you find important. Create you, the, I guess. Yep.
3: And create the space, create the space yep. for you, like start with baby steps and then create the time Like along the way.
0: My hardest jump is like, I finally felt stable last year. Like I paid off my credit card debt. I was able to refund my emergency fund. So My thing is like now that I'm stable, I'm trying to wild out and I don't know how to get to the next like jump of like investing because in my mind, I'm like, I just want to live life.
3: And which (laughs) is likely because you haven't established the fight. So you had a goal, right? When you paid off your credit cards, your goal was to pay off your credit cards. So you were focused on that goal when Mm -hmm. you wanted to refund your emergency savings. That was a goal. Now we have to make investing a goal. So the way it was a goal, I don't know how much credit card debt you have, but it's maybe pay off five ten thousand dollars 10000 the credit card debt. Now the goal is have five dollars to $10,000 in an investment account. And when we're mm-hmm. goal-oriented, and instead of just saying, oh, I want to save towards my retirement versus I want to have XYZ amount by XYZ, that puts Mm -hmm. a date on it. And that puts a numeric amount. It gives you something to work towards versus just this pie in the sky. Like, yeah, I need to save for retirement. Like, no, let's start it off. Like, let's max it out this year. Let's do $6,000. Let's max out. That way you can assess along each step of the way. That way you can assess, you know, three months into the year, six months in the year, nine Mm -hmm. months into the year, 12 months in the year, how close you are to that goal you set forth rather than just saying like, I didn't start. Versus saying, okay, I put aside $1,000. I need to contribute $5,000 more to get closer to my goal. So it's just Mm -hmm. making it a goal now that you've achieved those other goals. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to generalize,
1: but an observation is that typically men have a better understanding at financial literacy and financial education and things that they should be investing in and and doing at a much earlier age than I've noticed women (laughs) to know, and specifically white men have an even better advantage and understanding Mm -hmm. of this world Than black women, which is why again we're so excited to talk to you because this is probably the first time I've been in front of somebody that looks like me that I feel I have a trusted and investment in helping me navigate um,
3: my money. Yes, so let's like men be lying. Like (laughs) they
0: try, they do.
1: They don't be having
3: it all together.
0: Talk about every 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 terminology in the book.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of men out here who are financial. Educators who have similar backgrounds to me, who had mountains of bills and like had to figure it out and didn't have any upbringing, they just be playing confident. Men be yes. lying. Part of it, you know, and part of it, people want people with credentials, but people with credentials be messing up too. Like I, I've, I've met people who work on Wall Street who don't know how to control their urges and are willing to risk it all and don't have the behavioral finance element in place. And that's another thing is not discounting behavior. Um, but going back to it, men be lying. <laughs> um, but I think they, that's
0: going to be the title of this episode because I think that explains <laughs> everything,
3: but in the same sense, I think that women are more hesitant to flex their financial knowledge and their know-how women are more men are more likely to play confident in things that women also are confident about, but we feel like we aren't I'm as knowledgeable about it as we should be when we usually have the same level of knowledge. I remember there was a study that said like, like men and particularly white men would see a job that they only have like one qualification for yes. or a few qualifications, but, oh, I'm perfect for this job versus yes. a woman could have all the boxes checked and be like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I should apply yeah. for this. I don't know if I'm qualified. And that expands when it comes to finances.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tanya, what is the most common error that you see millennials in our community specifically make when it comes to like financial literacy, financial education?
3: They're too credit focused. It's like, really. I know that credit is our adult GPA, Mm -hmm. but you really only need credit when you need to buy something or when you need to qualify for something. So I'm not saying don't prioritize your credit score. But take a look at the other things related to where you are financially. It it is two parts because having access to credit or the ability to get a credit card could mean that you could create your own, um, you could pad your cash flow, right? If you don't have savings, if an emergency wasn't happening, you have a credit card, you can use your credit card to cover that emergency. So good credit is useful in that regard. But how about let's just focus on having a savings account? Like Mm. let's, because- you can have good credit, but if you don't have money and savings to put down on a car or a home or whatever those major credit based purchases are, what do we do this for? Right. You know, so it is. I think that people become so obsessed with their credit that they disregard the other elements, of their financial picture they disregard. Let mm-hmm. me just pay off this credit card. Um, mm-hmm. They disregard. Let me build this emergency savings account. They disregard. Let me get these skill sets up so that I can increase my income earning potential, which will make everything else easier for me. So that's the one thing I'll meet people and they'll be like, Tanya, I've been working on my credit for X, Y, Z years. And I'm trying to figure out why I don't have 800 right now. And one of my first questions is, okay, so do you have a credit-based financial purchase coming up anytime soon? And sometimes we're like, well, wow. no, I live in my house. Um, I'm in the process of paying off my car. My car is good. I just want to have 800. So I'm like, mm-hmm. what do we? We should be focused on other things. Like, yeah. we should, are you investing? how are you growing the money that you have now that you've reached a certain level of financial comfort? Because having a good credit score is is great, but it isn't the end all be all. There's other things we need to be focused on. I think in our community, we become overwhelmingly focused on credit,
1: oh, which yeah. is important, but. I think you are reading me for filth and not me, but like my friend group for filth. Yes. I'm calling y'all out because <laughs> one, a lot of the questions that I received this year and most recently at Friendsgiving was, oh, Kirby, like how many credit cards do you have? Or how many credit cards should we as millennials have? And my guy friends would be like, "Oh my god, you don't have like five plus credit cards, or you don't have this." And I'm like, "Well, what do I what do I need all these credit cards for if I already have two strong ones that I actually utilize and can pay off?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. um, this was actually a really big topic at my recent Friendsgiving. So I'm wondering, this is the opposite of what you just said, but is there a number that you would recommend for young folks? In terms of how many credit cards is a sufficient number of credit cards? And for me, I'm like, well, what can you pay off? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now because I'm not gonna
0: get any more.
3: No mm-hmm. more, no, more, no off, more for your mirror. Cut them
0: up. Like I know who I am. So sorry to that man. <laughs> no, never again.
3: And you, I think you reach a certain point in your discipline where you're like, okay, I can have that one. I can have that one. Um, it is awesome that your friend group is asking about. Credit, with Credit You know, you're having financial conversations. So I don't want but to shame people for anymore. having those <laughs> <Yeah>. financial conversations. <laughs> but it's also like, you know, we can, uh, and I know at the beginning I talked about, you know, let's get the financial basics before we broaden the conversation, broaden the terms. But maybe it's an opportunity to change the conversations. Like, let's all share one thing we learned about money this year. Right. Instead of how many credit cards you have, that's a way to have a constructive conversation because now we're all teaching each other something that we learned based on our own understanding of it. And we're probably going to teach it in a way that each other understands it or relate it to each other. So that would be my first thing is like, let's. I encourage people watching this, if you're going to be having a party or a gathering or end of year celebration, or even the top of next year celebration, asking each other, what's one thing you learned about money last year or this year? Um, because that's really a, a really a helpful way to learn from one another. As far as how many credit cards you should have, um, three to five is a healthy amount. Oh, wow. And I have way more. Like, mm-hmm. so to so a point where I'd be like, let me take this out and put this in my safe and get to a point where your credit cards serve different purposes. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, and I also have um, two businesses. And so I built business credit. So credit is such a broad topic, but the beauty of having business credit, and I know there's a lot of Instagram gurus now talking about business credit, which I have my varying feelings about, but the benefit of built business credit is that you can start to charge things in your business name with the intention of paying it off that won't impact your personal credit. So the Mm -hmm. way that you can't have on your personal credit, you don't want to have use more than 30% of the credit available to you, or then it might start negatively impacting your credit score. When you have business credit, it won't negatively impact your personal credit. So you can kind of do what you need to do with that and put those charges on your business credit card. And that's one of the things that a lot of other ethnicities have utilized to their advantage is keeping their dirt over in their business name instead of their personal name. Whereas us as minority entrepreneurs, we tend to keep a lot of our dirt in our personal name and now we're bogged down. So I do have quite a few business credit cards. Um, and the, like I was saying, my credit cards serve a purpose. I have my travel credit cards. If I'm going mm-hmm. on the road, I'm taking this card. I know I'm going to be dining out. So I'm writing off of my business name. My accountant can look at it that way. Um, I use my American Express charge card. One of the things I love about having my American Express charge card is you pay it off. So right. it's one of those things I'm not going to charge more than I know that I can confidently pay off. And that's one of the other things I think gets people in trouble when it comes to credit is using more than they can repay versus having that mental note. Like if I can't pay back $700, I'm not going to charge $700. But right now, I know that I'm getting paid in two weeks and I can comfortably do $200 to free up my cash flow a little bit, but I'm going to pay that off. And, you know, so I'm taking out that kind of loan. Um, So my credit cards serve different purposes. And when I say three to five, they they can serve different purposes. One is a rewards card. One is a travel card. um, And maybe one is a charge card. Um, and then maybe you have multiple airlines, you patron, and you signed up for the points or whatever, you know? And, um, I think as people think about credit cards, it's not just, um, getting credit cards because they gave it to you getting credit cards, because it makes sense for what your financial goals are, what your lifestyle is. Right. And that's when you start to use credit cards as a actual tool and a tool to help you not necessarily in your financial freedom, but your comfort, like your lifestyle comfort. Yeah because another reason why I got in financial education is because I don't believe in being uncomfortable. Like...
1: A word. A word. A word. I hate being uncomfortable.
3: I, mm And that was one of the reasons I, I don't like being uncomfortable and I don't like things being inconvenient. And bad credit was really inconvenient for me. Mm-hmm. Running around and looking for co-signers and paying extra money. I remember I was living in New York City and I applied for an apartment and they told me that I needed a co-signer that made like 80 times the rent. Yes.
1: Yes. Who, Paul? Like, oh my oh. gosh. Um, oh, and yes. I was
3: like, I remember this when, when really I first saw that, I was like,
1: I don't even understand this. How does 80 that make times? That, like, I don't understand.
3: <laughs> 80 times. So my thought process was, first of all, I don't have anybody who makes 80 times the rent. Um, and second all, how do I become that person that makes 80 times the rent?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
3: Those are some of the things that really push me. And I hope that it encourages others. It's just like, if you like to have a convenient lifestyle, like having money isn't everything, but having money gives you options. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's about creating as many options for yourself as possible. And like, okay, I've created this option when it comes to my credit score, what's next? i created this option when it comes to debt. What's next? I've created this option when it comes to X, Y, Z. Location freedom and income. What's next?
0: Yeah. Wow. I do want to get an audience question because we got a bunch of questions. What is the best advice you learned about managing your money that you still live by to this day?
3: Oh, if you are not a budgeter, which I did not like doing a budget. I mean, like I still write out my expenses. But I don't like doing I, I am not the person who is like, How much did I spend today? Okay, let me go ahead and update my spreadsheet. I am not that person. Yeah. The best advice I got was take care of your financial responsibilities first, and then whatever is left, like that's for you. So, financial responsibilities included paying my bills, putting money inside of my investment accounts, paying off my credit cards, like paying down debt or anything like that. And then, whatever is left is for me. And that worked for me. Like, I made my savings and my financial responsibilities and my financial goals a bill, per se. And then mm-hmm. after that, it's game time. Like, yeah. I've done what I said I was going to do with my money. And now, like, now I can be more flexible if I want to go. <laughs> I want to go buy that wig from Alibaba or (laughs) Aliexpress, I can without worrying about it. Like once I started focusing on taking care of my financial priorities first, it took Mm -hmm. me out of position of not ever having enough for my financial responsibilities because I was focusing on those first and then doing what I wanted with my money after that instead of doing what I wanted with my money when I got paid. And then when financial responsibilities rolled around, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough. Like, no, it's never. So that is one of the things that I, I have not budgeted traditionally in almost five and a half years yeah but I'm in a better place financially because now I just focus on prioritizing my financial goals and responsibilities before my wants
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then
3: I make space for my wants shame like without shame after I've done what I said I was going to do with my money and that's how I define financial success is doing what I said I would do with my money
1: oh
0: I love that Don't run away, because when we return, Tanya tells us the key to generational wealth.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I want to shift the conversation a little bit to going into like generational wealth and what mm-hmm. generational wealth looks like for black families. Like right now... We're not going to get into the fact that uh, our ancestors worked uh, land that we were never promised, never received. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, for a lot of Black families and young professionals, they're the first in their families to, quote, unquote, make it. But simple term, simple question, how do we as Black folks get ahead and start to build generational wealth when we're already starting way behind the curve of our peers?
3: Assets. Create as many assets as possible assets being, you know, I know that I said, don't get ahead of yourself, but whether it's real estate, whether it's investing in the stock market, whether it is building companies that allow you to free up your income, assets are the game changer. And then also, um, you know, life insurance, life insurance is another big thing in our community. And there's a lot of pushback on it right people are like well it's a scam insurance as a whole is a scam but a lot of other cultures strategically use life insurance as a wealth creation tool I was talking to someone who worked in um who did life insurance or was it like a broker and they were saying that a lot of Indian families everybody will pull together and get a life insurance policy for the oldest person in the family. And then when that person passes away, they use that money to start a business or buy a business. Mm. So they're leveraging that to create generational wealth. So I would say like assets is a way, and I think that's one of the ways that they've kept us out of creating generational wealth is because for one, we haven't been educated on what it looks like to create assets and what it looks like to grow those assets and what are actually assets. So there's like a lack of asset literacy. And then there's also... Um, a lack of access to those because we've been you know based on different things such as redlining
1: yeah. um,
3: inequality in the workplace or salary inequality but for so many people it's just been like surviving rather than thriving mm-hmm. when you think about people who leave legacies it's because they they had assets and i'm not talking about assets and like fur coats and handbags which yeah you know <laughs> i have those too i have those too um but it is in you know, investing in a stock market, investing for your children.
1: Yeah. Even
3: if you can't do it for yourself, you can do it for your kids. It's mm-hmm. like my son has mm-hmm. a custodial stock account and i try to put $250 a week into his custodial stock account. Like even this morning, mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, Tesla's on sale. Let's go ahead and buy some <laughs> Tesla because right. the stock is down. I know that I said, don't walk before you crawl, but I want everyone to think about like after you stabilize, start thinking about, okay, how do I start creating as many damn assets as possible?
1: Mm-hmm. When's like the time you think people should start talking to their kids about money? Like how early is too early?
3: I think there's a difference between talking about money and showing money. Um, And we can talk to her blue in the face, but we can tell our children do this, 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 and this. But if we're living differently, our children are going to do what we, they're going to do how we lived instead of do what we told them. And so you're modeling early on financial responsibility for your children. You're modeling a lot of different things. You're modeling early financial behaviors. Um, For example, we don't like lack is not a thing that we try to operate with in our household. Like even at night, every night I tell my son his affirmations. For me, that is financial planning, giving him these affirmations, affirming that he is powerful, affirming that he is capable, affirming that he is brilliant, affirming that he is deserving, affirming that he is safe. Because a lot of poor financial decisions are based in lack consciousness and mm-hmm. so I think we can start teaching them about money by affirming them and helping them feel as powerful as they are and re- reiterating that power. And then I would say, you know, once they have a decent concept of money, like my son is three, I'll probably, I'll read him some money books, but it's not <laughs> until he can like actually like count money that will start going to the grocery store. I'm like, okay, here's a quarter, here's this, this is what you get this in exchange for this. But one of the things I also challenge people to think about is reframing how we talk about how you generate income, because for so many generations, especially for us, for people of color, our income has been tied to the amount of how hard we work instead of how smart we work. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent, one of my goals is to reward my child for thinking, reward him for thinking of solutions instead of like, okay, I'm going to give you allowance for taking the trash out. Like, no, let's think through this problem. Create as many solutions to this as possible. And then I will, I'll, based on how many solutions you come up with, i reward you based on each of those solutions. I love that. Because we should, we get people, we think about the people who are paid the most and the, the best in the society, it's the people who think. Mm. And so yeah. I want us to, as we think about how we reward kids when it comes to money or how we teach them about money, teach them to think. And mm. then we can also show them how to apply and use money.
0: Yeah. I really sparked something you said earlier about how your parents never asked you for money and I think that that may be the opposite of some people who are who are like the first in their families to mm-hmm. like make it in like their industry or make it to where they're stabilized because I feel like I, now that I'm stable, I have to go back. I have to go back and get everyone else stable and if I'm going back, I can't move forward. I can't invest Ooh, in other things. Yeah. so how does someone who was a first move forward? when helping everyone else who gets stabilized around them. Mm.
3: Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, when you ask me the question about another mistake millennials make, the other answer should have been boundaries. Mm. We don't have boundaries around our finances. Oof. And yeah. I know this is in, at the risk of sounding selfish. Someone else's poor financial decisions is not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to clean up someone else's poor financial decision-making.
1: You might need to say that again. Yeah,
3: I, <laughs> <laughs> I might have to tweet that today because that was yes. good. That came off the dome. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> um, but it's it's not my responsibility to make up for someone else's poor financial decision making. That's, that's not my responsibility. And it's hard and it sounds selfish to say, but if you don't prioritize your financial goals and your boundaries and keep your boundaries, then you're going to become a financial burden to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so for you, it is you looking out for the next generation of people who are going to depend on you to make sure that you are financially secure and stable. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't help people out occasionally, but we don't want to set the precedent of you becoming the person who is their answer. Mm -hmm. You are not their answer. You should not be their answer. It's just important for you to remember that you can help and support people lovingly in a variety of different ways. Sending a resource to someone is help. Making someone an authorized user on your credit card, but not giving them the credit card so that they can build their credit score Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. is help. Um, There are different ways that you can do it without doing it at the expense of yourself. And then you do get to a point where you're like, okay, I can loan this money. So I should say, I don't loan out any money that I can't afford not to get back. Right. So if I can't afford to lose it, if I can't go on about my day-to-day and cover my responsibilities without them paying that back, then it's not going out. Like, it's just not. Yeah. You know, just remind yourself, like, we all have choices in life. We all do different things with our choices. I meet people who have guilt when it comes to their parents. And they're like, you know, my parents sacrificed so much for me. And I think there's different levels, you know, like parents, children of new immigrants, our first Mm -hmm. generation children, everything like I that sacrifice is a little different. Um, Like your parents came here to give you a different choice. But people who've been here for a couple of generations and your parents just made some bad decisions, that's not you're not responsible for those bad decisions. Right. Like, and where's the accountability? And that's one of the things about becoming an adult is I think it challenges us to look at our um, parents as the adults they are. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and not, you know, how we view them as children. And people can be awesome parents and they can be like irresponsible adults yeah. as possible. I think that by holding the people in your life accountable that you once admired or that you look up to, it allows you to hold yourself accountable.
1: Tanya, do you find that your non-white clients have a harder time with setting that type of boundary than your white clients?
3: I don't have a lot of white clients. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: That's not my. That's my not my specialty. specialty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do have peers, you know, and I think that yeah. I think that there's survivor's remorse. They're really yeah. like there, there's survivor remorse that affects us. And we definitely, definitely, because community is so big for us, but then we have to reframe what community means. And community doesn't mean becoming a martyr and sacrificing everything that you've done for the sake of the benefit of your community. Community can mean becoming as successful as possible so that you can help those who are willing to do the work as well. So I definitely think we struggle with it more. And like some people call it the black tax.
2: The tax mm-hmm. of like
3: being Black and successful, which is a real thing. Um, but it's yeah. those boundaries. And my husband once told me, he's like, you're a perfect blend between being selfish and being giving. I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I'm going for. Because <laughs> I, I want to be okay. I think it's okay to be selfish to a certain extent, because at the end of the day, like you're kind of all you have.
1: Mm-hmm. I hear you.
3: I'm passionate about that, y'all. No, and that's what I'm trying to be.
1: I want to be in the middle of exactly what your husband called you. I want to be the perfect balance between selfish and giving. That's what I'm striving for. Um, I want to bring another audience question in here, one that I think Amir and I both feel very passionately about, and that's salary transparency. Mm. Um, We're in Mm -hmm. the entertainment industry, and it is so seldom that we get and hear real honest conversations around salary transparency. It is almost as if it is this taboo topic that you just make what you were told you were going to make and you don't talk to anyone about it. Um, So uh, an audience question that we received was actually, why do you think there is such this like?" stigma or like taboo around salary transparency across the industry? And are we doing ourselves a disservice by not being honest about how much we're making?
3: So one, yes, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a stigma with salary transparency because they want there to be a stigma with salary Mm -hmm. transparency. You don't talk about your salary to other people and it Mm -hmm. benefits them with us not to talk about our salary, not to talk about how much we got paid because it allows them to underpay other people without being, without knowing that they're underpaid.
1: And Tanya, let's be real about that. A lot of times, and I'm so sorry to say this, I might have to cut this out, but HR tells us not to share salaries with our peers.
3: Illegally, you're not required not to. Like yeah. legally, it's it's not a legal. I think they requirement. signed
0: a form about that,
3: which is like a scam. Yeah, which and it should be a pushback. It's like, so what? are You gonna fire me because I want to talk about my salary with other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, so, what if my
1: peer is making significantly more than me now? I am getting the short end of the stick.
3: <laughs> so that is one of the reasons I ended up quitting my last job um, mm-hmm. because I was working at a nonprofit, which go figure of all places, a nonprofit practicing I know, salary I know. inequality. Yeah. Um and um, I had a master's degree. I had over like six years of work experience. My role was planning programming throughout the entire city of New York City. So I was like in Staten Island one day and in the Bronx the next day and like I was all over the city. and they had hired this intern, a white girl who had just graduated from college that year. Um, but she came from the same alma mater as my boss. And we had a black girl who was in HR and they fired the black girl. They fired um, her. And when she left, she was like, listen, we got to have a conversation. You know, and I'm going to change the name. She's like, you know, they hired Mallory. And I had just renegotiated a higher salary for myself, a $15,000 salary increase after being there for two years. Right. So, yeah. like, you know, they, she's like, you know, they hired Mallory at the same salary that you just renegotiated like flat out of college. Wow. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. She's made, and I think it was like 65,000. Like, yeah, she's making 65,000 right out of college. And I had to fight for it. It took them two months to give me that salary. And this happens so often. I quit, like, I put my letter of resignation in, like, less than a month later. I was like, I'm yeah. done. And at that time I had my business and everything. I was like, y'all clearly don't value me the way I value myself. Um, right. And I ended up quitting my job. But it, well, it took someone sharing that with me to know, that I was not being valued properly by that company. Um, So sometimes you need people in HR to advocate for you. You know, you need your folks. You need to be friends with them. Sometimes it takes, you know, I'm a big proponent of entrepreneurship, but if you're not going to be an entrepreneur, like let's put ourselves in positions at companies to help other people. So let's put ourselves in hiring roles. Let's put ourselves in roles where if a company's not being transparent, we can share information, you know, out of love. Um, But even as a content creator, even as an influencer, we talk about um, like transparency because these brands will come and tell you they don't have any room in the budget. And like, I, I had this happen one time when we were going, we had, um, a brand that reached out to several of my other finance influencer friends to do this, um, this event together. Mm-hmm. And when I came back with my rate requirement, they said, oh, well, X, Y, Z has already requested this. So we're basing it, basing everyone's rate off of what they requested. Yeah. And that was like $5,000 less than what I was going to ask for. And I was like, girl, we should have had a conversation about this. So Great. we should we could have gone to them and all got what we were worth. Um, so now like we're dumbing down our rate requirements because of that. So that's the power of having a conversation with other people. A lot of times I get people who reach out to me because they know I do a lot of brand partnerships and i will be like, Hey, this brand is reaching out to me with this, with this scope of work. And this is what they're offering. What do you think about this? And I would give them my honest feedback. I'll tell them like, well, I'm working with this brand actually. And we asked for this and we can all go in and ask for, you know, some a similar amount, a podcast that I did a few years ago. One of the requirements that all the hosts had is that you paid us all equally. Mm
0: -hmm, And so we mm
3: -hmm. all had to get paid X, Y, Z amount for the, the podcast. Nobody was paid less. Nobody was paid more. We all got paid equally for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's power in that transparency and getting what each person deserves. And we think about, you know, wanting to look out for other people. Sometimes looking out for other people is making sure we all get paid what we deserve.
1: Yes. Yeah. I actually love that I've been seeing a lot of the Black content creators specifically that I follow on my platforms being a lot more transparent with. Brand partnerships, salaries, and things that they are getting for the work that they're doing, and also, hello, saying no is a full sentence, and seeing a lot of people say that now as well, especially when dealing with these cheap brands.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You love to and see that's it. That's the beauty. That that's I, I love to see it. I do, and that's that's <laughs> also the beauty of you know financial security. If you can be like no, you can walk away from things without worry. You know, like there's a lot of things we turn down. I'm like, it ain't even worth the money at this point. <laughs> where I'm like, no, I'm not doing all that work for that. No, I like sometimes I'm like, the nerve. Yes, the nerve. You <laughs> yeah. really want me to do two Instagram reels, once like a four to five story um sequence and a post for a thousand dollars. Oof. The nerve, yes. y'all tripping? Mm. No, <laughs> yes. absolutely not. No, absolutely. And you Our hired me because
1: you couldn't do it yourself. So, like, absolutely
3: <laughs> not. Our brand partnership started ten thousand. <laughs> what do you want to do? You know, and um, and so, but that also does come from the power and like sharing with each other and sharing with other people. I have a brand partnership now where you know I'm very transparent and I shared how much it was, and they reached out. They were like, um. Can you take that down? We don't even pay our people that much money. We don't even pay VPs that much money. It's like, oh, okay. I'll take it down. I understand <laughs> that.
2: But
3: just, just know that some of these companies that y'all are working for hard every day are paying people who do a fraction of your work three times what they're paying you.
0: We know. I might cry on this call. Just know that we... I like people knowing that. I like, I like when people... Know that I know they're scamming me. Like, don't think you're getting getting ahead of me. Like, know that I see the game. Like, I, you may be playing me now, but I'm plotting for the future. Just, just know we're playing chess, not checkers.
3: You know. And here's another thing for like people who are entrepreneurs or content creators. Like, as a like on this in the spirit of letting people know that I know. Um, if I do accept a job that is less than my rate, I indicate it on the invoice. Like, this is actually what this is valued at. I'm providing a discount, and I'm reflecting that discount on this invoice, just so you know that this is like I'm doing a fake, I'm doing a solo right here. Like, right, this is yeah. not what we typically do. Right, so just so we all are clear, like yeah. right. If you want me happening.
1: again, here's my actual rate. I did yes. you a favor this one time.
3: Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh my God, this has been. Such a great conversation. <laughs> but
0: we wanted to talk t- about your Banish the Balance Challenge. Yes. That you helped over 4,000 people pay off more than $200,000 in debt in 60 days. Can we yeah. just give you those flowers
1: really quickly? Like, just sit in the Thank moment. You. That is a huge That's amazing. feat. That is That a was huge such defeat. a
3: great challenge. I think we might run it back. I'm going to talk to my director of operations. Ooh. We might run it back. It was so good.
1: If you do, please let us know immediately.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was that... I'm not anti-debt. I am not, I am, I am not Dave Ramsey. I am not anti-debt. Mm-hmm. I think that some debt is good, it's necessary, it allows you to leverage other people's money um, mm-hmm. and can increase, extend your cash flow. But I think that people become really comfortable with debt in our society and like debt mm-hmm. as a way of life. And if there's debt that is not beneficial to you or that does not help you get to where you want to be financially, let's go ahead and get rid of that. If there's yeah. debt that is affecting your self esteem, that is affecting your mental health, let's go ahead and get rid of that. So we created the Banish De- the Banished Balance Challenge to create a community of people who are focused on eliminating their debt, and we really we focus on like educating you know different types of debt and. Uh, incentivizing people to share their financial wins, like when they, about paying it off. And it was so fun. I, yeah, you know, we got to do it again. I really enjoyed <laughs> that. I really enjoyed that. Um, I want to do it again. <laughs> so thank you all for bringing, <laughs> for bringing it back up. But um, so be on the lookout, challenge.com. We probably will run that again in 2022. But the goal of it really was to create community around debt elimination. The same way there's community around YouTubers and like makeup and hair and, Mm -hmm. um, all these other things in fashion, like let's create community around being financially responsible. Um, like right now I'm, I, I did this podcast as a, as, as a love Because I'm taking off because I'm learning how to trade. And I'm part of a community of people who are learning how to trade. Uh, And when I say trade, that is like trading on the stock market and like trading options and everything else. That's a skill set that I'm focused on learning because I realized that that is a blind spot in my financial understanding. And so just community is so powerful. I don't think want anybody to disregard the power of community. So we really wanted to create a community of um, people who are banishing their debt balances.
0: And we appreciate you coming to our table during this month of rest that you have, because Mm -hmm. we saw it. We're just so happy when you said yes. We're like, thank God.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. We so appreciate it. We do want to give you an opportunity as well, though, before we end our podcast to share some of the financial and money resources that you recommend, including your own, like the Banish the Mm -hmm. Balance Challenge, uh, for those who are just getting started in their financial journey. And yeah, what are the resources you would recommend people check out?
3: Yeah, so we are we have our um fab family community. Um, And so you can find the Fab Family. Actually, if you go to our Instagram, it's like a thing that says join the Fab Family. Mm -hmm. I also believe it's myfabfinance.com backslash club, Mm C-L-U-B. And that is our accountability community. We do things like challenges. We haven't done the banish the balance challenge in there. Yeah, but we do things such as financial oriented challenges. We have 22 ambassadors to answer your financial questions. And we have like a home with different circles and chats, homeownership, side hustles, different things that people can do um, or focus on when it comes to their financial goals. So it's really that baked in accountability community if you don't have a larger community it's eleven dollars a month um, but we're seeing a lot of wins in there people are doing amazing so that's myfabfinance.com backslash club Well um, spent yep yes and then uh we moment, periodically we open up access to our financial course and resource library um, and so i would say follow us on our instagram so you get a notification when we open up access to that we usually do like flash entrance. It's like, okay, we're taking 20 people into our library. Um, And so just follow us on Instagram, instagram.com backslash myfabfinance.
0: I love that. We like to end every podcast episode with some iteration of this question. Okay. Our question for you is, my Black is building generational wealth because? Mm.
3: Because I'm coming for everything our ancestors deserved.
0: Oh! That was good. That was really good. (laughs) Mic drop. That was so good. Oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. I have so many more questions. So we're gonna have to like run this back some other time. But yeah, you know,
1: God willing, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) This is the most fun I've had talking about finance ever in my life.
3: Oh, (laughs) I need you to give me that blurb. Give me that blurb. I'm putting in my reel. It is
1: yours, okay, sis. That is, uh, yeah. I think the way that you break down and come from a place of honesty and transparency and your own personal perspective is what I need. So thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Thank you for that reaffirmation. I appreciate it.
0: The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amir Lawali. This episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan and edited by Bill Moss. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our supervising producer is McKainy Lynn. And our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. See you next week.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
3: Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods